Hi, my name is Lucas Cullen and I'm the founder and creator of Struggle Create Strength. I started this mental health platform to showcase that everyone has a story. No two stories are the same, but every story has the potential to help somebody else. I've personally struggled with mental health my whole entire life, and that's why I wanted to start this platform. I always knew that I wanted to do something in the mental health world, but I just didn't know what exactly it was or how I would do it until I found this idea. This idea started because I noticed that people were struggling to speak up, I noticed that I was struggling to speak up, and I wanted to give the world a platform where they could not only showcase their story, but they could have the potential to help somebody else and really shake up the world with the power of speech. I might as well get right into my story because it's a story that showcases what you see on the outside is not always what's the case on the inside. A lot of people wear a mask and statistically speaking, two out of three people in the world will struggle with mental health at some point in their life. I know a lot of people that have struggled and I know that a lot of people struggle to actually speak up and talk to a professional, a psychiatrist, somebody that will actually do them a lot of good because they don't want to seem weak or they don't want to be judged. I wanted to start this because I want people to really gain the help that they need and sometimes we struggle with opening up to our parents or our friends or a professional like a psychiatrist because we feel that we're lessening ourselves or that we're weak or something along those lines. So I might as well get right into my story because it's a story that showcases exactly this. I'm a person that on the outside I look super happy, um, but I've gone through a lot in my life and I want you to see exactly what I've gone through and hopefully the hard, hardships that I've encountered will help you find your voice and speak up and come out and just really help people all around the world. And that's my goal with this. I wanted to give you guys, I guess, that mental image of how I felt internally but to be honest, I wanted to say something like I was drowning with anchors attached to my ankles or I was trying to fight an army all by myself. But to be honest, nothing really explains my story other than my story. So growing up, I always knew that I had something, I guess, as people would say, wrong with me or I struggled in some form, but I just didn't really understand how or what it was but when I was growing up I always struggled with anxiety and all through elementary school even I would be fearful that my friends would leave me for new friends or I'd be scared to sit with different people in my class because I didn't like change and um, obviously life has changed every day there's change in life um, but it was in grade nine when my life kind of took a drastic, a drastic 180 and that was when um, I had a really close friend of mine. He sent me photos and texts of knives and saying that he was going to kill himself and that um, he didn't want to live anymore and that he was basically constantly saying goodbye and this was over a course of one long weekend and at the time I didn't know who to reach out to, what to do. The only thing that I knew in terms of mental health help was basically the counselors at my school. 
So I knew I couldn't go to the counselors until Monday morning. And so for a full weekend, I hardly slept, hardly did anything other than worry and worry and worry. And I tried to hang out with him, but I couldn't. And he had gone through, um, obviously, a deep tragedy. He, his dad actually passed away. And I don't resent him in any which way for the things that he did because, as I'll tell you later on, I've gone through some of the exact same things and I've done some of the exact same stuff. If he is listening to this, I want him to know that I truly love him and I support him and no matter what, I will always be there for him and I wish I could have helped in a different way than I did when it happened. But essentially, when I reached out to the counselors, um, he almost resented me. And he was mad. He got mad at me for doing that and for getting help for him. Um, my parents were actually pretty proud of me for doing something like that. And I was proud of myself at the time. But at the same time, I'd gone through those hardships of seeing somebody be so down on themselves and seeing them want to end their life and it took a huge toll on me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to kind of go next or how to help myself recover from that. And that's what kind of kickstarted my whole mental health journey. So that same year, I ended up actually, sounds a little cliche, but I ended up falling in love with a girl. And this was something that changed my life um, I would say forever. Um, it made me realize a lot of different things. And one of the things was that I can't control how somebody feels about me. At the time being, I had nothing but, and I still have the, nothing but the utmost respect for this person, but I, I struggled a lot because I wanted them to love me so much. And I was a dreamer. I thought that this could be it. This was the end all be all and it basically ruined me and I remember there'd be lunch times basically every single day for months where I would walk out to the field by myself and I'd listen to sad music or study do homework whatever and I was just like I just wanted to be alone I had nothing like I didn't want to be around anybody I just wanted to be alone and I would go home after school and I'd want to be alone the one thing that sort of helped me in this state was hockey. So my whole entire life I've played hockey. I ended up playing major junior. I had a lot of success in hockey, but in grade nine was actually when hockey started to transform from a fun thing into more of a business. And that was because it was the year of my WHL draft. I ended up getting drafted by the Calgary Hitmen, um, 95th overall, and it was a great accomplishment and I'm still very proud of it to this day, but when it actually happened, I wasn't all that proud. I thought it wasn't good enough. I was upset because I didn't go higher. I didn't, take, I didn't take pride in it, but instead I kind of discriminated myself for it. I thought I could have done more. I could do better, I should do better, and I almost saw my career end before it even started. With all these falling in love and being lonely and doing those sorts of things, the one thing that actually helped me cope with it was hockey. 
when I went on the ice and I stepped on the ice and I had a game or a practice, whatever it was, I left all of my, all of my mental struggles behind. I just went out, played hockey, enjoyed myself, succeeded, um, always pushed myself to the absolute max that I could go because I took pride in hockey and that was something that I thought was going to be my life and my career. It wasn't and I realized that there was a lot more to it. But at the time being, it was what took me away from reality. So with being lonely and going out on the field and experiencing these things, I, I wanted help. I wanted somebody to come sit with me and I wanted just somebody to ask me if I was okay. And it didn't really happen because at that time, mental health wasn't something that was talked about a lot. It wasn't something that was that you would see a lot. Um, you wouldn't have people posting stories or pictures about it, sharing their stories, nothing like that. So I felt super lonely in all spectrums. I even remember on my birthday, it was my 15th birthday, and I it was supposed to be a happy day. You were supposed to celebrate yourself. And instead I came home and went straight to my room. And that was it for my day. I think I came down for like cake or something like that, but that was where it ended. And that's, to this day, that's heart-wrenching on myself because I, you want to, you want to celebrate yourself and you should celebrate yourself. Everyone is an amazing person and everyone has such high qualities. So you should never feel like you're not worth celebrating or worth treating yourself or worth feeling like you are worth something. You, everyone's worth something. Um, but as time went on, I, and after this WHL draft and after uh, school actually ended, I, I started to change quite a bit. I started lashing out in different ways and I started sneaking out of my house with my friends and I started drinking alcohol. And these are all things that you should do when you're younger. And I believe in that because you should be sporadic and spontaneous, but um, it was unlike me and it was a massive change. And I don't think I was doing it for the right reasons to have fun. I was doing it more so as... Um, an attention seeker. I wanted my parents to ask me if I was okay and if everything was all right because I was changing in such a vast way, but it never happened. So I kept training extremely hard for hockey, um, skating and working out almost every single day. When I couldn't speak up about my mental health, I wanted to basically put all my efforts and put all of my anger and all of those emotions that I was holding inside out on the ice or out into my workouts. And that's exactly what I did. And I actually accomplished a lot throughout the summer. And I started to feel proud of where I ended up in terms of my hockey. But at the same time, I wasn't proud of where I was mentally. And I, it was tough and I didn't know what the next step kind of held for me, but I figured if hockey's going well, then my life will figure itself out and my head will figure itself out. But that's not how it works. You have to take care of yourself before you can succeed in everything else. And that was something I never realized or understood before that. So in grade 10, actually, 
was when I started to feel a little bit better. Um, and that was at the start of the year. I was joining a new team with older guys, joining a new school. It was a step in my life that, and everyone's life where you enter high school and it's like you have nothing but the rest of your life ahead of you. And it's the first steps into adulthood. That's how I looked at it. That's what I thought it was. And at the start, it was great. I loved it. I started making a bunch of new friends. I started hanging out with a bunch of different teammates that I didn't know before. I started connecting with old teammates. It truly felt like I was getting better and I was getting to a state where I was healthy again. I started to excel and I actually got to go to Prince George for the Canada Winter Games with Team BC. That was amazing, but what I found was every single time that I went to a Team BC event, you have the best players in the province playing with you or against you. And I would gain nothing but severe anxiety every single time I went to a camp or a practice or game because I felt that I wasn't as good as somebody else. I would degrade myself and degrade um, my play and my work ethic and everything like that because I felt I wasn't as good as someone and I wouldn't get to where they were at. And I always feared that people wouldn't like me or that they would think less of me or something like that. And I, I hated it because I wanted to go into these camps and have nothing but confidence like some of the players that were there. So many of those players had nothing but confidence and everyone loved them. Everyone wanted to be around them. And not saying that people didn't want to be around me or anything like that, but I, sometimes that's how I felt. I felt that I had to really strive and basically find every ounce of confidence that I had in order to bring someone towards me. And that, that really sucked. I, I just remember being at the camp in Vancouver before we went to Prince George for the Canada Winter Games and I was freaking out and I would always, if I had to speak up in front of my whole team, I would get super red and be so anxious and I'd almost black out when I'd speak because I'd just be filled with so much anxiety. And nobody knew that and nobody could see that, but internally it was so stressful and I kept finding myself being tired because I was so stressed and had so much anxiety built within. It was a really big struggle for me. When we went to the Canada Winter Games, it was really fun. It was almost like the Olympics and it was, it was a great time and I loved it. But in my first game, when we were there, it was 18 seconds in and I ended up tearing my MCL and straining my PCL. Put me out for the whole entire tournament and I was devastated. I spent so much time preparing for this moment and working at it and going to camps and going to Vancouver for all of these practices in exhibition games. So there was so much essentially blood, sweat and tears that went into it and it sucked when it all came down. And I remember popping my knee back into place and skating off the ice to the bench and just breaking down in tears and smashing my stick because I was so 
infuriated, infuriated that my one opportunity was over and there would never be another opportunity like this in my life. I would never get this exact same opportunity in my life. And my parents were there and my parents are, were always the most supportive people with hockey and they would always give me everything that I needed in the world to make my dreams come true. They always have and I'm sure they always will. But at that time when I found out that I tore my MCL and strained my PCL, I, I broke down and I remember my dad asking me if I could still play, if he thought that I could play, if he thought that I could come back at the end of the tournament. And I remember being so frustrated at that moment because I was sitting there with a torn MCL and all he cared about was if I could play. I think I got mad, I think I yelled, but um, now I realize that it's just because they sacrificed so much for me to be there in that moment and for them to take time off work to be there and drive out there and everything costs money. And I, at the time, I just figured, oh, he didn't care about my mental well-being. But in reality, it was way different than that. He cared about, he obviously just, knew how much effort and money and time that they put in and they wanted to see me succeed. They wanted to see me be a part of something bigger than myself. So that was the reason why he was asking all that stuff. But at the time being, like I said, I had no idea and I didn't realize that. And so that frustration obviously led over and it I dwelled on things for a long time and when I came back home from the tournament I was I kind of fell into a depressive state. I started I started feeling not only frustrated but super lonely again because my friends would be going places and doing things and I couldn't do those stuff because I was on crutches and I'd have to stay home or something would hurt when I if I was trying to go do something. It's really tough to say, but after like falling into this deep depressive state, I turned to self-harm. I remember, I remember standing in, the first time that it ever happened was when um, my girlfriend at the time and I broke up. I figured that was my life. Like that's what I saw as being my life, my future, everything in between. So when it all came, crashing down, I figured I needed to, I, I just figured there wasn't anything worth living for. And that was really tough, I guess, realizing that or thinking that was the case. But I turned to self-harm and I remember after getting off the phone with um, my girlfriend at the time and when it all ended, I was distraught and I was frustrated with myself and I felt that I needed, I needed to hurt myself because I hurt somebody else. And when I got home, I stood in my bathroom and I remember turning on the shower to mask any noise whatsoever. And I stood there, I grabbed a razor and I turned to my hips and I would press and press on my hips and just feel the blood run down my legs. I would 
be shaking and bawling my eyes out and feeling every last bit of pain. And when it would hurt more, I would press even harder because I felt that that pain that I was feeling, I needed to experience it even more. So I would stand there and I would cut and cut and um, I obviously regret it now. But at the time being, I didn't know, like I didn't know what else to do because I was so distraught and I was so frustrated with myself and I just truly didn't see anything like any other way. I figured that was the way, that's what had to happen. After doing that, I would go to the rink or I'd go to physio appointments. Um, I would wear short sleeves. I would wear shorts, something like that. And so I figured my hips were the place where it would always be covered. Nobody would ever see it because nobody would ever see me naked or see that aspect of me and have an opportunity to see what I'd done to myself. After the first time, I thought, that's it. Like, I regret it. This is where it ends. Basically, this is where it all has to stop. And that wasn't the case. I remember I'd go to school. I'd be there physically, but I wasn't there mentally. I couldn't focus. I couldn't engage myself in conversation or learning. I would just sit there. And then at lunchtime, I'd go out to the field and I would sit there. And all that I would do is ponder my mind for basically 24 hours of the day. There was nights where I wouldn't sleep. There was nights where I would think that I was studying because I'd read over my books time and time again. But in reality, I'd read 10 pages and realize that I learned nothing because all I was thinking about while I was reading was my mental health. After falling behind and having my parents get utterly pissed off at me because I was falling behind in my studies and I was always a person that I guess strived on good grades and really really took pride in my studies. I just figured that I was being a disappointment and my parents were getting mad. Little did they know what was going on inside, but that falls on me as well because I wouldn't speak up about it. But after them being mad with my studies and me feeling even more pressure and more anxiety because I was behind and I knew that I had to catch up and I knew that I had to exert myself. I became so depressed once again and felt so lonely and so degraded that I needed to essentially resort to self-harm again. So there was another time I again, went into my bathroom and this time I went to my arms and I was, at that time, it just, it didn't feel natural, but it's again, it's like deja vu because I've done it before, just this time in a different spot, but I felt the exact same way and I felt those same mental stressors and that same cloudiness in my head where I just was, I'd sit there and cry and I would have see the blood and I'd cry more and like I was so hurt and so vulnerable in the wrong ways and I didn't know what to do other than that and moving forward I I figured okay you know what that's the last time I'm not going to resort to that again it's not where I need to be and then I remember one time 
I came home from school after I'd basically been all healed up from my knee injury. And I remember standing in my bathroom and looking into the mirror. And I looked from about, a f from about two feet away and then I decided to get closer to the mirror and closer and closer and closer until I was basically staring myself dead in my eyes. And when I was staring myself in my eyes, it was almost euphoria because I didn't recognize who was sitting in front of me. I couldn't, it sounds super silly or stupid um, or almost unheard of, but I literally looked dead into my eyes and could not see myself. I didn't see Lucas Cullen, the happy-go-lucky, outgoing guy who excels at hockey and has tons of friends. I looked at myself as, who are you? Who is that standing right in front of me? And it was at that time when I knew that I was so lost in not only my life, but in my brain, because to not recognize my own self. And it wasn't that I didn't see what I wanted to see. It was that I truly did not recognize who I was. I didn't know what was the case and I didn't know why, why this was happening, but it was. And I just figured that I needed to make a change, but unfortunately I didn't. I, the next time I did it again and I looked in the mirror and I looked at myself and I, I resorted to self-harm once again. And this time I remember like running a bath and sitting after I cut myself, I sat in the bath and I did my hips and my arms and I sat in the bath and literally just watched the tub turn red and again crying so distraught didn't know what to do and so sitting there seeing that happen i i just i didn't know where to go and i i remember after that moment i was like okay i can't i cannot i can't do this again and I wanted to try and make a change, but I felt so sad and so depressed. And on my 16th birthday, I did the same thing as my 15th. I sat in my room. I didn't do anything. I remember I almost backtalked my parents or got mad at them because they wanted to do stuff for my birthday, which is so absurd and so wrong. And I wanted to basically be good again but I didn't want to be around anyone. And I figured that I needed to do it by myself and I, I wanted to do it and I wanted help, but I didn't know what steps to take. So moving forward, I remember once, once I was able to run again and do like play hockey and everything like that, when I'd step on the ice again, I would basically step out of my mind and I would only focus on hockey but when I go for runs, I'd use those runs as basically self-care, but I, I wasn't at all. Like that's what I thought at the time I was using as self-care, but it, that was not the case. I would feel depressed or I'd feel anger or nothing but emotion and anxiety building up. 
and I would decide I'm going to go for a run and I'd run and I would run and run and run and run until I couldn't run anymore and I'd find myself at the top of a mountain and almost forget how I got there and I would stand there and I'd always think what would it be like just to fall off what would it be like just to end it and I I always wondered who would care and who wouldn't how it would affect people um, and Obviously, I'm sitting here today, so that never never got to that point. But I wanted to I wanted to escape my mind and I wanted to find a way for someone to lash out. And I remember one time I was running down a hill and I was like I literally just let my body go limp and I fell down this hill scraped up my body and I remember coming home praying to God that my parents would ask me what happened and if I was okay because that would be my one opportunity to explain where I'm at in my life and where my head is at and how much depression and anxiety I'm truly dealing with on a day-to-day basis but it didn't happen and my friends they would ask oh what happened but they'd never ask if I was okay or, and that was always tough. And I remember even one day I came to school um, and one of my teammates came up to me and um, he ended up seeing my arm one day and he asked why I would do that. And I remember he got mad at me for it. And I don't resent him at all for getting mad because I was mad at myself for it as well. But I just remember that if he knew what I was going through, if he knew how to ask if I was okay or wanted to help me um, in a further standpoint rather than looking at it as something bad or degrading, then I could have gotten help way sooner and I wouldn't have had to go through some of those extra struggles. But I just, again, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do and I just felt so alone and again it's alone 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 and that's how so many people feel nowadays is alone and we we all do feel alone from time to time but it's just it's a matter of what we can do about that and how we can change that and whether it's hanging out with people or going and seeking the professional help or whatever it is those are some of the steps and procedures that we need to talk about more because when I was in grade 11 or sorry in grade 10 and I was going through the self-harm moments those would have been so beneficial for myself or at least to hear be able to relate to somebody else on a personal standpoint or have somebody that would sit there and listen to me talk for hours and explain myself or allow me to cry and release all of those emotions and all of the pain that was so deep down inside of myself. So after, after grade 10 and after all my lonely moments and after all the self-harm, I knew I couldn't do it again. I didn't want to do it again. I needed to stop it 
and I figured I need to focus on hockey, focus on trying to at least better myself a little bit, but more so hockey. And going into my 16-year-old year of hockey, um, I was given the opportunity to start in Calgary for the Calgary Hitman of the WHL. And I earned every single moment, every single opportunity that I was given from the organization, I earned myself. I obviously had help along the way and support from my parents and um, support from trainers and coaches, but I 100%, the reason why I was there was because of myself and because I dug so deep down inside of myself that I, I deserved it. I knew that I deserved it and I proved to myself and to everyone else there that I deserved to be there. And that was a satisfying feeling. I knew that that was something that would help boost my overall mental health. And honestly, it did. In, my, in that year, I made great steps and I found a love for hockey that I never had before. I would go to bed at night and be nothing but thrilled to go to the rink the next day. I would be at the rink and I would be so engaged and constantly listening and figuring out how I could, how I could play more, how I could get better at a certain skill, how I could get stronger, better, faster. I always wanted to prove myself on a daily basis and I was making great strides. But unfortunately, I, it was my second game second regular season game with the organization and I ended up getting a concussion and being knocked out briefly on the ice and due to that um, I had to come home and play in play major midget for another year and I was frustrated and I was heartbroken once I was told that I had to leave because I spent my first but my first week and a half of my concussion, I spent it in Calgary and getting treatment, doing what I had to do. And I was hopeful that I could stay, but at the same time, I knew that being young, I would most likely get sent back home. When I got home, I had to isolate myself in a dark room, do the typical concussion procedures. And I started, started to find myself get antsy and get some of those depressive feelings back and those thoughts that would constantly run through my mind and I didn't know what to do and what step to take again but I was I was eager to get back to school basically start my next step and hopefully I could still have that same um, basically that same mentality going into a day-to-day -day basis that I had in Calgary but also possessing more confidence than I did have there because I was stepping into a league that I had already played a year in. Um, I knew a lot of people on the team. I knew a lot of people at the school. So it was an opportunity for me to really build my confidence and step up and do a lot for myself and really come out of my shell and find happiness, true happiness again, and be proud of who I was. So starting, starting my year, it was, 
it was good, but as time went on, it wasn't the same. I had confidence, don't get me wrong, but almost too much confidence. I started to, not that I would ever mistreat anyone or belittle someone, but I found myself almost being cocky in a sense or obtaining just way too much confidence and not being focused for games in the ways that I should be or not taking things as seriously as I should. Um, And it took me a little while to really adjust and find myself and ground myself into the state that I wanted to be in. And after I did that, I was extremely happy and I ended up again making a big step in my life and being able to go to Calgary um, again through Christmas time. And that was an awesome experience. I got to play a lot. I got to gain a lot more confidence, really connect with the guys and look forward to the next year or even the playoffs of that year. So after doing all of that and when I came back home, I was I was excited. I was excited to complete the rest of my season with my team and move forward and just enjoy every day. And that's how I went into it and that's how I looked at it, but it wasn't it wasn't like that and after after time I started again finding certain things would affect me mentally. Um, I'd find myself in some of those lonely states from time to time and and I just remember I wouldn't handle situations in the way that you typically would or should. That year was actually a big stepping stone for myself because I remember for about a month I did the same thing. I would go isolate myself out on the field and I would sit there or I would walk through the forest and just be so lost in my mind and not be in a state of reality. And that was, that sucked a lot. I didn't know what to do again because I didn't want to resort back to self-harm and I didn't want, I didn't want to go speak to a psychiatrist or a counselor because I felt that that was weak and I didn't want it to get out to my teammates or out to my friends because Again, I didn't want to seem weak or to seem belittled. After about a month of doing the same, walking out and isolating myself and being lonely, I decided to reach out to one of one of my really close friends and close friend to this day, and his name is Miles Matilla. So Miles Matilla is not only an amazing human being, but he has created a peer-to-peer basically counseling, um, called mindright.info. So mindright basically is exactly like I said, it's a peer-to-peer website and opportunity to speak with someone because it is hard to speak out to counselors or psychiatrists, um, parents, an adult, essentially. Like it gives you that opportunity to connect with somebody that's your own age or has been through some of the same stuff. And in talking to him, I remember for about a week and a half or probably two weeks before, I started really thinking about it and thinking about reaching out to him and trying to build up that courage in order to tell him what was going on, what I've done to myself before and 
what I want to see come of myself and what I want to end and end how to end that loneliness. And I knew that he was a person that I could trust and I knew that he was a person that I could run to and explain everything to. And so when it finally came down to it, I remember pulling him aside at lunchtime and just telling him my story. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't fun, but it was something that needed to happen because I knew that I couldn't live in a state that I was in for any longer. I knew that it was, it had to end and I needed help. And if that meant just talking and telling one person, um, then that's what I needed to do. After doing that, he was awesome and he listened and he would always check in on me and see how I was doing and he would give me the opportunity to do public events in the community and explain my story to people if I wanted to, but also just be in the presence. And I, if I didn't want to tell somebody my story or if it was too much and I got overwhelmed, I didn't have to do it. And that was such a such an amazing way to welcome myself into the mental health world and become open with my story and being able to sit here today and share my story and the nitty gritty of what it is with the world because people will often share their story but they won't share that they were suicidal or that they did self-harm or just how they felt internally and me being able to slowly work myself into a mental health community and speak out with Miles and MindRight, it was, it was perfect for me and I knew that's exactly what had to happen. So moving forward, I tried to immerse myself in um, each event that he did, but it, always, it wasn't always easy. And a lot of the time I didn't feel like it was worth it and I didn't realize that I had to put basically my myself first and I had to really focus on myself and realize that these were the steps that I had to take in order to get better. And realizing those steps and realizing that I had to put the time and effort and the struggle into actually bettering myself was the hardest part. I thought that I could just show up for an event and leave the event and go hang out with friends or go to a party and everything would be fine. And I'd slowly work itself out. But that wasn't the case at all. I remember going to a couple events and I felt that it really didn't do anything for me. Or I'd speak up a little, like a little bit more about it and it didn't do anything for me. And it's because I was doing nothing to better myself. I was simply explaining a story that once happened, but I didn't do anything about it. I wasn't finding ways to better myself or thinking about what the next step is. I would just tell my story or show up to an event and that was it and act like that never happened. And that was the biggest realization is that I can't act like these things never happened because they did happen and they were a lesson and they taught me so much and I realized that I need to come out and be so open and transparent with who I am and what's inside 
So I need to really speak up and explain myself. After realizing some of these things, I actually started to feel a little bit better. Again, life moves on and I met, um, safe to say, the love of my life. So this was a girl that I, um, I had met at school when I came back from Calgary and it's almost one of the sayings that I have is everything happens for a reason. And I've learned that over the years. And my reason for this was I came back from Calgary because of a concussion. And if that never happened, I wouldn't have met this girl. Or maybe I would have. I don't know. But I did meet her because of that. And she, she brought a massive light into my life. Um, she was everything that I obviously pictured in a girl and then some. She was super supportive of me, um, allowed me to be super open with her and really explain my story and explain some of the struggles that I've encountered. But also she would never judge me. She always gave me nothing but love and support and just a full judgment-free zone and an open environment to say whatever I wanted to say. And that was super refreshing. I, I don't know if I ever had that before, but this was a relationship that I, it moved really fast, but it was in all the right ways. And I thought that it was something that would last forever after time and after the summer, um, we did nothing but enjoy ourselves. We had the most fun. We went camping and swimming, mud bogging to the drive-in movie theaters. We did everything and it was amazing. And I never felt like I couldn't be myself. I always felt happy and strong and confident in who I was. And I was super confident in who I was with and it helped and it almost went hand in hand. And I felt that we were two, two very, um, not only, I guess, in a way successful people, but as well as strong people. And when we were together, it was like we made each other better. Um, and then I, I went off to Calgary after the summer and that sucked a lot because I was leaving something that was something behind that was new and fresh. But at the same time, it was really nice knowing that I had that for when I came back home or if she could come out. And she did end up coming out with my dad. Um, it was a couple weeks into me being there. And she came out and visited with my dad. And for me, that was huge. She wanted to be around my family. She wanted to be with me and sacrifice her time and her weekends to come and see me and do all of that. Um, I'd never been in a relationship that was long distance and quite frankly, I'd never been in a serious relationship like this one. Um, moving forward after her first time coming out and visiting, I wanted to be there with her like I wanted to constantly have her around and 
it started to affect me in ways that I didn't understand. And at first I thought, oh, I just miss her. But then it was becoming more than that. And it was, I almost found myself not focusing on what I was doing or where I was. Um, more so I was focusing on what she was doing and what was happening back home and how I wanted to be with her so bad. At the time I thought it was okay and I thought it was natural, but now I see it as it wasn't. Like when I'm, if I'm in a long distance relationship, I shouldn't have to know what somebody's doing at all times and I shouldn't have to, they shouldn't have to know what I'm doing at all times. We should have full trust in each other and know that no matter what, everything's gonna be okay. And if it's not, then it wasn't meant to be. And that's one of the realizations that I've learned over the years is that you truly cannot control everything in your life. The only thing that you can, the only thing that you can control is what's happening in this very moment. And that was hard to grasp. We had some fights, we did, but we also had a lot of loving and caring moments while I was away and while we were in like doing long distance. I remember one of the one of the most special moments that I actually shared was when her mom and I actually organized for her to fly out um, to visit me. That was huge because she was only in grade 10 and I was in grade 12. So we aren't, wasn't like we were on our own. Um, we were very much so still in our, in our parents' hands. But that was, it was awesome. She came out and she visited and we got to spend a day together. It made me realize that this long distance thing, there is ways around it and that we can still love each other from different parts in the world and make things happen and as time went on, some of that started to deteriorate and trust started to vanish and love never vanished. It was always there, but the trust and kind of that, a bit of that spark factor really started to go away. And it wasn't that we didn't love each other, that we didn't like each other, we didn't want to be around each other or talk to each other, it was more so the fact that long distance is really hard. And not a lot of people know that, but we experienced that firsthand, and obviously that was our first time ever doing that. So moving forward, I remember visiting at Christmas and it was like nothing ever happened. We were solid, we were good, There is, we enjoyed ourselves, we, went and did everything that you should do on Christmas. We took great photos, but there was also times at Christmas when my mental health wasn't good and I could see it affecting her as well. I wouldn't, she would come over and I wouldn't be happy. And it wasn't because she didn't make me happy, but I wasn't happy mentally. Part of the reason was because I didn't want to go back to Calgary because I enjoyed being at home so much with her and with my family and with my friends and rather than embracing where I was at that time I just decided I I'm going to be miserable and that looking back on it that sucks because one that's not fair to her two it's not fair to my family and three it's not fair to myself I Basically, 
I would be home for seven days and I, there'd be some nights that I would ruin because I was mentally not there or not stable. And that sucks. It's really tough when you see somebody affected by the way that you have acted because you don't want to be a downer on someone's mood and you don't want to be the reason why they're not happy. But the mat, like matter of fact, that was it. And as the time came where I had to go back to Calgary, I was miserable because I actually had a concussion at the time. And I knew that when I got back, I wasn't going to be playing right away. But at the same time, I did know that I'd be stepping in soon. Little did I know that on December 28th, 2016, I, my life was about to change for the worse. And that was when I got into a car accident. I was T-boned at an intersection at around three o'clock in the morning. And we had come back from Medicine Hat that night and I was told that I would be playing in within the next week. So I was obviously excited to start playing again, but at the same time I was, I just wasn't fully in it. And when I got in that car accident, it was, it was really tough. I didn't know what was kind of, what was going to come of it. And I obviously went into immediate shock being T-boned um, and stepping out of the vehicle and seeing both vehicles being smashed, I first thought was, is anyone hurt? Second thought was, why does this have to happen to me? I was supposed to play soon because I knew that something was not gonna, like not right. And I knew that my head was probably worse or I had some other injury, but being in shock, my only concern was, is everyone okay? And going home the next day when I woke up, I remember being on the phone all day with insurance companies and figuring out what was the next step in terms of getting that all organized. But then I also realized that my head wasn't feeling good. And I took a massive step back in terms of my concussion. And my back felt all wonky and nothing felt right. And that's when I fell into a deep depressive state because once again, I had to be isolated at my house with nobody to talk to, nothing to do. I couldn't go to school. I couldn't go to the rink. I couldn't basically didn't see anyone for a month. And I was in, I wasn't seeing my parents. I was living in a billet house. So it's me, my thoughts, my concussion and my billets and my billets were amazing and they she was always the most supportive person of me and always made sure that I had exactly what I needed but sometimes it was tough because she would go out of town for multiple days at a time so it would be just me and with it being just me I would do a lot of soul searching and a lot of thinking and I would fall into some deep depressive states. And I remember I wouldn't talk to my girlfriend for a couple days at a time. And it, that was everything. I wouldn't text her, call her, Snapchat, Instagram, nothing. It was 
I was silent for days. And I remember my dad texting me one day and saying, Lucas, why have you not texted McKenna? And I just, I remember sitting there and thinking, I don't know. I have no idea. Like I love, I had so much love for her, but I was so unstable mentally and I didn't know what to do. And I just, I broke down in a factor of shutting down and I didn't reach out to my family. I didn't reach out to my girlfriend and I just, I stopped and I, I didn't, I wish I would have known how it, it was affecting others. And I wish I would have been able to seek help in that, in that tough time because it wasn't easy. I just, I kept like, I'd give my girlfriend next to no emotion and I wouldn't, um, it was really difficult and we kept having fights and arguments and I got to go home for, I got to go home on two separate accounts actually. And the first one, because I, my team was going on a road trip and I hadn't seen my family in a while. So I got to go home and stay there for about a week and see them and talk to them. And it was, it was really nice. And it was, but it was also a lot of physiotherapy, a lot of basically meetings for mental health or sorry for concussions and everything was all based around my concussion when I was back. So I didn't have any time to really embrace myself being back. And when getting back to Calgary, it was, I landed and I was right back into my billet house once again. And it was, it sucked. I was isolated again and I would have somebody come visit every now and again and kind of hang out, but we couldn't do anything like go somewhere to the mall or even go to a movie or do anything. Like I was stuck in this lonesome of a spot where I had to do nothing because my concussion wouldn't allow me to. And I was still not going to school. I couldn't even sit down and focus on my studies. I would have to listen to audiobooks in order to write. But when I'd write, I'd get a headache. So then I'd have to take breaks. And it was, it was just, I was filled with frustration because I, I am a very outgoing person and I always have been. And I love being around people and being around my friends, but I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to do it. And I didn't know what to do. So moving forward, I, basically not talking to my girlfriend or to my parents and not taking care of myself mentally and not finding ways to actually benefit myself. The fight started with my girlfriend, the just the loneliness and basically the, the no talking kind of occurred with my parents or I'd just be super one worded with them and I wouldn't elaborate on anything. I was just almost a zombie with them. And I remember my girlfriend's mom getting mad at me and because I was mistreating her daughter and there's so many different things that were falling into it. And at the time I just thought, okay, so my concussion is hurting everyone else around me and then myself. But 
also my mental health was deteriorating extremely fast because I had all of these different stressors and I wasn't, I was in Calgary to play hockey and I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing what I was there for and I wanted to be, but at the same time, I knew I wasn't even in a mindset where I could even think about being on the ice. And that was something that was really new to me because I used hockey as my outlet for my whole life before. And now I knew that when I'd step on the ice, I'd still be thinking about the same stuff. After all these arguments and my girlfriend and I were on the verge of basically ending and a lot of different things happened and came into that. And I remember feeling nothing but frustration on my end. But I think it was in February, early February, and a lot had happened. And I knew that I needed to take those steps in order to come out and speak up about who I was as a person. And I knew it had to start with my parents. So speaking up to my parents was something that I didn't know when I would do it, I didn't know how I would do it, and I didn't know how they would react. And truthfully, that scared the heck out of me. I wanted to tell them, obviously, for a really long time, but I didn't know how. And so it was February, early February, and my team once again was going on a road trip. And I asked my team if I could go back home and if I can actually speak to my parents about some of this stuff because I I did take one step while I was still in Calgary and that was seeing our sports sports psychologist and he was an amazing an amazing guy he still is an amazing guy and I've talked to him rec- a little recently but um, yeah he he helped me and he kind of gave me that that nudge to go talk to my parents so in early February I flew out or flew back home to talk to my parents and tell them about my mental health. That was something. And it, I remember we had dinner and the whole dinner, I was freaking out. My hands were sweating. I, I wanted to puke because I, it was something that obviously I was holding so, so deep inside of myself and I'd wanted to tell him for a really long time, but I didn't know how. And so to know that that was when I was gonna tell them was the most nerve wracking moment of my life. I remember as soon as we cleaned up the dishes from dinner, I kept doing the whole one, two, three, ask, one, two, three, ask. And I would ask them or ask in my head or tell myself in my head that after the one, two, three, you're gonna ask him if you can talk to them. So I did that for probably about 20 times. I'd say, oh, the next time, the next time I'll do it, the next time. And finally I said, no, this is the time. And I did one, two, three, and I said, can we have a talk? I wanna talk to you about something and I wanna bring um, something up that's really important to me. And both my parents were super confused and they sat there with a face on them that (laughs) was filled with confusion and they, didn't know what I was going to say. They just didn't know. And I explained that I have struggled with mental health for a long time. I explained that I have done self-harm before. 
I explained that I have thought of ways to end my life before, and I said I've wanted to try um, on countless occasions, but obviously I didn't, and there was always something that was telling me not to. But talking to them and telling them something like that was scary, and it took a lot, and I didn't know what they were going to say. I didn't know how they were going to react. And I obviously didn't want them to look at me any less. And that was something that I even said to them. I said, after I explained myself and explained who I was and what has gone on in my head, I told them that I don't want them to look at me any less or belittle me in any which way or treat me any differently because I'm still the same person that will take those jokes the same way or take punishment in the proper ways or if you yell at me I'm not going to think about um, killing myself or doing something like that I want them to treat me the exact same way that they always have and they've they were really good about it they fully supported it had nothing but respect for me for coming back home and telling them all of this stuff they were really happy that I opened up to them and just told them everything that has gone on in my life and in my head and they wanted to help in every which way that they could um, but at the same time they weren't fully educated on what they needed to do and that is something that happens a lot is parents especially if their kids struggles they don't know there's so many parents out there that don't know the right steps to take in order with handling a suicidal kid or handling a depressed kid or a kid that struggles from severe anxiety or has some form of disease or just isn't mentally stable or mentally strong or mentally where they want to be and so many parents don't have the resources or aren't aren't knowledgeable in that field to know what to do or what step to take and that's something that not only needs to change but it's something that I wish would have been available to my parents when I was going through all of this because it's super important and I wanted them to obviously know everything and know what was going on but for what they did know and what resources they had, they did an amazing job. They truly supported me. They didn't belittle me, treated me no different. Nothing was different. It was the exact same. If I played like crap, my dad would tell me I played like crap. And he is the most honest person ever about that. He will not hold back. He will say it exactly how it is. If I do something wrong or I don't put my dishes away, my mom will let me know. She is, it's pretty funny, but my parents are, my parents have raised me definitely in the proper ways and they have showed me how I want to raise my kids, but they've also showed me things that I will do differently. Like I think as kids, we learn from our parents and we learn from relationships around us and we learn from different things that have happened in our lives and different events and how people have handled each event and 
Um, this was just one of those events that I learned a lot from and saw how my parents dealt with it and how they handled it. And I obviously gained a lot of respect for them and realized that it was a very similar way as to what I would do for my kids if they came out to me and told me some of this stuff. And moving forward, they would ask me how I was doing and they would make sure that things were good. They encouraged seeing people and talking to people about it. But still at that time, we weren't like mental health still wasn't a massive thing. It was getting bigger and there was more resources and more platforms available to people to speak out and speak up and find their voice. But it still wasn't where it needed to be. And it's still not. And it might not be for a while, but obviously that's why I'm creating Struggle Create Strength is to make that open environment and give you those resources and give parents and kids and everyone the resources and the the open environment and the supportive environment to explain themselves or help someone dear to them or whatever it is. And I wish my parents would have had something like this platform when I told them about my struggles because it would have been super beneficial. Um, moving forward though, once I went back to Calgary, it was for the next month, it was still isolating, still getting back to trying to play and trying to come back. And eventually I did and I was, I was super thrilled with it and I was super thrilled to know that I obviously persevered and went through a lot of struggles in order to get back to playing and back to a state where my head was good again. Um, I still have chronic neck pain from my car accident and that's something that may never go away and hopefully it does one day but I'm able to deal with it but my mental health was something that I wasn't able to deal with and for a really long time and the concussions obviously played a huge factor in that and once I was back to playing I thought it would be perfect and everything would be back to normal but it wasn't and it wasn't at all because I was filled with anxiety and wondering where I was going to play in the lineup how much I was going to play that night if I get given the same opportunities that I was given before I got my concussion and when I wasn't, it affected me mentally again. And I felt like I didn't know what to do and I should do one thing, but I should do another. And I was just constantly battling myself and I didn't know what, I, what step to take. And eventually I figured out that you know what, I'm going to skip tonight's game. And that's what I did. I acted like fake to sick, told him I was sick. And I wasn't lying, essentially, because being mentally unstable or not mentally healthy is being sick. Like you are sick in the brain. You have, like you are not stable. And when you're sick due to congestion or the flu or something like that, Obviously, it's a function of your body and you're not, you're not at your full healthy state. So if you skip a game because you're not fully healthy in terms of having the flu or having a cold or something like that, 
It's the same when you have mental health and you're going through struggles on struggles because you aren't healthy. Your brain isn't healthy. You aren't at your 100% where you need to be or even at a state where you think you are good enough to play and good enough to give at least 75% of your focus towards something. So I knew that I would be to zero beneficial, like zero benefit to my team and to myself. And odds were that I would go out there and I wouldn't be there mentally and I'd get hurt because if you're not in it mentally, you will get hurt, especially in a league like the Western Hockey League where it's fast and everything moves and you have to be on the ball essentially. And after skipping that game, I remember walking around Calgary one night and I felt lost again. The same as when I looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize myself, I felt the exact same thing. And I did the exact same thing. I looked in the mirror in a total different part of the country and just didn't recognize myself again. And my billet was out of town and I went on a walk. And I figured, yeah, it'll be quick. It'll it'll go by fast. I'm just going to go blow off some steam, whatever it is, get rid of this frustration feel mentally stable again and that wasn't it i walked around calgary all by myself just thinking just walking around the city and i remember ending up in a spot easily five kilometers away from my house and just standing there looking around gazing at everything around me and just thinking where am i i stood there for a while and thought about where i was And I just let all of my emotions come out and I had tears running down my face because I realized that I was struggling with too much mental health and I wasn't in a, any form of stable state. And I walked around the city. I broke down and standing there, not realizing where I was, I freaked out and I ran as fast fast as I possibly could home. I ran probably at my full speed for who knows how long, 45 minutes or so from a spot that at first I, like I said, I had no recollection of where I was or what I was really doing there. I just realized that my thoughts led me to a place where I ended up and I running home, I was paranoid and this factor of being out at like four in the morning and running as fast as I possibly could home made me just freak out and I kept thinking somebody was following me I kept thinking somebody was gonna pull over and kidnap me like it was I was in this extreme state of paranoia and I mean as anybody probably would be at 4 a.m. in the morning in a city like Calgary, but I freaked out. And when I got back home, I just remember shutting the door and closing it as fast as I could and locking it. And I was just freaking out and I couldn't believe what I'd just done. And I couldn't believe where I was and what I did. And I was so scared for my mental well being. And I went to the rink the next day and put on that mask and acted if as if nothing ever happened. And that's how it always worked. I 
would go through something so crazy like this, where you are walking through a city at 4 a.m. in the morning, or self-harming myself, cutting myself and sitting in a bathtub, and then the next day I'd wake up and I'd put on my happy face, because that's how everyone saw me as that happy-go-lucky type of guy, and um, a very likable person, a person with nothing but friends, but obviously under that mask was like 50 shades of darkness because you it's nothing but darkness and sadness and you're just so lost in where you are and what you're doing um it's it's crazy and when i went back home like after the end of the season i same thing fell into that state again and i my girlfriend and i started off good and then once again went right back downhill i I wouldn't see her at school like she wouldn't essentially want to have lunch with me so I felt lonely and I but I wasn't making a change to find friends and better myself and hang out with my graduation class or anything like that I was just I'd go sit in my truck at lunch and eat and that was so bizarre to me or I'd ask my dad if I could go work and that's what I would do because I I didn't want to be at school and I didn't want to be around people. It wasn't all bad. And at the end I did, once I started seeing a, um, or I guess I saw a psychiatrist and a counselor, um, but that wasn't until after I essentially relapsed with self-harm. And that was after... My girlfriend and I got in another fight and this one was a serious one though and I just I knew it was because I was hurting her with my mental health. Like none of these fights were essentially like they weren't always her fault and they weren't always my fault, but a lot of the time my mental health played such a big factor in how we dealt with the fight or how she would essentially deal with me because she didn't want to say something that would hurt me and obviously I wouldn't want her to say something that would hurt me either but she felt like she almost didn't have a voice to speak what she felt because she knew how I would react and what I would what I would potentially do and that's exactly what happened one night she finally snapped and got mad and because she felt like she needed to talk to me and in the right, like in the ways that I needed to hear it. And she needed to be flat out honest and stop at nothing to make, make me see what she was feeling. And that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what I needed. At the time being, I realized how much I hurt and was hurting her with my mental health and with my struggles. And by not seeking the professional help that I needed, and that's when I collapsed, like relapsed again with self-harm and I cut my wrists again and it was tough. And that like basically relapsing after about two years, that sucked. And I felt I was miserable with that. I didn't know what to do. And we got to a state in our, basically in our relationship where we needed to take time from each other. And that's exactly what we ended up doing. And we 
we broke up and I remember her looking at my wrist and saying, this explains why I can't be, why she couldn't be with me and why I needed to seek the help that I really needed. And I took that to heart and I took it in a positive way and I did exactly that. I started seeing the counselor and I started seeing a psychiatrist and I'd see one three times a week until the very end of school. And I got way better. I started finding helpful tips to use in order to manage my anxiety and manage my mental health. And one of the things was actually stepping up, um, stepping up from a standpoint where I would challenge my anxiety. And in a classroom, I would put up my, I was told to put up my hand and answer a question. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you struggle from severe anxiety, that is a big deal because you don't want to get the question wrong. You don't want to speak in front of 30 people. So when I would put up my hand and answer a question, the first time sucked. It was hell. I thought, oh my gosh, like I'd be sweating and freaking out. And then I would do it. And then I'd realize that it wasn't so bad. And then after I did it again, it got easier and easier. And then I kept putting up my hand not only to challenge my anxiety, but because I actually wanted to answer the questions. Then I was told to take another step and that was answer it wrong on purpose. And that freaked me out. I thought people would laugh, people would make fun of me, but my psychiatrist said, do it once, do it twice, three times, however many times and see what happens. So I tried it once and I answered it wrong and all the teacher said was, nope, just somebody else want to try. And the students never laughed, never did anything. Somebody else just answered the question. And I would do that time and time after again. And it helped my anxiety so much. And then I would take it into regular life situations. And I would challenge my anxiety, something that would give me anxiety. I would do it anyways, because I knew that that's what had to happen sitting in front of this camera right now gives me anxiety, but I'm sitting here because I know that it's gonna help somebody else and it's gonna change somebody's life and it's gonna give people that voice to speak up and challenge their anxiety. And speaking in public gives me anxiety. I freak out, but it's something that I love to do. Even though it gives me anxiety, I love to do it. and. I challenge that all the time. Seeing somebody that I haven't seen in a long time gives me anxiety, but I like doing it because I like catching up with people. I just, on a regular basis, I challenge my anxiety in every which way that I possibly can because it gives me confidence and it helps me grow and it makes me realize that nobody's pointing fingers at you. Nobody cares about what you're doing or the mistakes that you make. All they care about is themselves and that's all you should care about is yourself that's all I care about is myself and it took me a really long time to get there because I always cared about what people thought about me or what people would think about me so now I'm at a state in my life where I want to be strong and stable and utilize the fact of anxiety as kind of a way to step up and speak out and come out about everything and after 
seeing my psychiatrist and doing some of these little tricks and getting down to some of those deep route like deep routes of myself and why I struggled with depression and anxiety and um, what were some of those big stress factors in my life I realized that hockey was something that maybe I didn't love it as much as I thought I did or as much as my parents wanted me to that was a lot to take in because hockey was my life for as long as I knew but it wasn't bringing me the same joys and the same I guess happiness that I wanted it too and I wasn't as passionate about it and that's when I started that same year after I graduated was when I started working again it was really good but at the same time my work was taking away from my training for hockey I wasn't able to give ever like my all into hockey and to tell you the truth I almost liked making money more than I enjoyed training for hockey it's true when they say you get out you get what you put in uh, that's literally what happens and that's exactly what I saw happen that year because when I went back to Calgary the next summer or I guess at the end of that summer I I wasn't at the same headspace as I was in the previous year with hockey and I wasn't I guess as prepared either and it showed on the ice um, as much as Everyone likes to point fingers and say that this is the reason why I wasn't playing or this is the reason why I wasn't having success. Ultimately, it came down to myself and the effort that I put in throughout the year wasn't a help to my game whatsoever. Um, and also, I wasn't, again, I wasn't in the best state of mind and I didn't want to be there. And... I wasn't seeing my psychiatrist through the summer because I was only seeing my psychiatrist and counselors through school. So when I was in my, when I was in my, or basically coming into playing, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, like I just wasn't there mentally. I wasn't at a state where I figured I could excel at hockey and excel from a personal standpoint and take care of my relationship. And I was seeing my girlfriend again um, after I was got better mentally and started doing a lot of things to better my mental health. We started seeing each other again because obviously we did have a big love for each other and we both cared for each other and we had a lot of fun when we were together. But when I got back to Calgary, um, she visited a couple times right away and um, it was awesome, but at the same time, I knew that I wasn't where I wanted to be mentally and I knew that's not where I wanted to be physically. I wanted to be back home. I wanted to be with my friends and family and I wanted to essentially live a normal life for once in my life. Hockey, any hockey player will know that you don't live a normal life when you play hockey, especially major junior and junior hockey. You do not live a normal life. It is a life out of the ordinary. It is a fun life, don't get me wrong, but it's a life filled with stress. Um, and I will 100% guarantee you there is way less people that don't struggle with mental health than there is people that do struggle with mental health that play hockey. And especially at the higher you go and the higher, or I guess, the more competition that there is in that field, the more that you're going to have people struggling. And 
that was something that I started to really realize and started to figure out that I need to take care of myself and hockey is not something that I will do for the rest of my life and something that I'll love for the rest of my life and something that I will play for the rest of my life. I knew that there was so much more to life than hockey and that's something that a lot of people struggle with and I've seen it firsthand. A lot of people think that they are going to play hockey forever. Their life is never is their life in hockey is never coming to an end. That's a huge thing that you see in junior hockey and for myself I knew better than that. I knew that hockey was going to end and I didn't know when or how, but it was going to end and I knew that I would I had to take care of myself because without hockey I'm somebody else. I'm still someone that needs to have goals and try and achieve something and I think that's almost a humbling part on my aspect is because I wanted to always look at the future and think about what is going to benefit me the most. And leading into that, I remember I was attending the university with my teammates in Calgary and we we were leaving we left class and we were heading to the rink and I was driving to the rink and I started breathing super heavily and I started freaking out, started having a massive panic attack and I couldn't breathe, I couldn't do anything, I had to pull the truck over and I sat on the side of the road on the highway and called my dad freaking out because I just had this massive panic attack and I said, I need a counselor, I need a psychiatrist, I need some professional help because I don't know what to do. I don't know why it happened, I don't know what's going on, I need help. And for me, I was obviously super proud of myself because I realized that I needed help and I needed change. but to reach out to my parents some, and my dad, especially somebody that I normally wouldn't reach out to or in the past obviously haven't explained my mental health to, it was huge because I it allowed me to grow and allowed me to take the steps that I needed to. And unfortunately, um, my dad, he ended up calling our our general manager and asked if I could get the help that I needed, ask if they could set up a psychiatrist or at least guide me in the direction so I could do it myself. Because um, I'm in a different city where I don't know what the resources are. And again, that's something that in any city, you don't always know. And it's not always at your, at your very first, like at your fingertips. You know which restaurants are where, but you don't know what mental health facilities are where. You want to take care of your health, but you also want to take care of your mental health. And our ment like mental health facilities and resources need to be available on like everywhere. And we need to be educated behind what is available and what will help and what will be proper so that we, if you have a panic attack on the side of the road, you can drive directly, like directly to a mental health facility and seek the help that you need or at least book an appointment and it's not going to take three weeks or four weeks to get in because three weeks or four weeks would be the difference between sitting sitting back and almost killing yourself or doing self-harm or finding a different way to cope with it 
Whereas if you're, if you find that help and you realize what you need to do, or you have those resources where you can just access them right away or within a day or two, then it's like, you're going to notice an exponential growth in people that it helps. And that's a system that is flawed. And it is, I, that's why I'm here is I want to make sure that it's not flawed forever. And whether it's myself, a psychiatrist, a doctor, there needs to be people there that are accessible at all times. And somebody that you're willing to actually open up to and talk to and maybe it's just somebody that you want to relate to because sometimes that's the easiest way to do it is to relate to someone because then you can have a deep conversation and deep conversations are the best the best way to connect with someone some of the best conversations i've ever had in my life aren't with my buddies they're with random people that i've met and we sit there and we talk and we be vulnerable and vulnerability is by far the most important thing in today's day and age. And a lot of people will look at it as, oh, you're super soft or you're weak. You're like a girl or whatever it is. Um, like as if we're, as if the term girl is a weak term, which it's not at all. I know my, my mom is probably one of the strongest people I know. And she's a certified badass she has done worked homicide for 25 years and she's seen things that nine out of ten guys would be frightened of um our term like our vocabulary and the terms that we use and the way that we handle situations is so offside and so f it's just everything is so flawed within this mental health system um there is obviously positive resources and people that are trying to make a big change but there's so much that needs to happen and so many things need to be done obviously when i tried to get my help in calgary i couldn't it just wasn't possible i my dad was calling our general manager on a couple different accounts and asking him to set it up and nobody ever talked to me about it nobody asked me if I'd like to see someone, nobody even gave me a number that I could call. And my dad called and texted them on several occasions asking because he knew that I needed help. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't be there anymore because I felt like I, not only was I not supported um, from a mental health standpoint, but hockey wasn't bringing me the same satisfaction. And I chose to, I chose to leave Calgary and leave some of the friends, some of the really close friends that I have there because I wanted to do something for myself and better myself. And it was super scary, but at the same time, I knew that it was the right decision because I wanted to be surrounded with not only my parents and my family, but as well as my girlfriend and some of my close friends because that's what I felt I needed to get to a state of pure happiness. When I went back home, I saw a psychiatrist right away. I actually went to my doctor and got a subscription filled for medications and I thought I was getting better. I ended up playing hockey for the West Kelowna Warriors um, in the BCHL. At the start, it was really great. I loved having my parents kind of come, 
and obviously having my girlfriend's family come and just the support factor was what I felt I needed and it's what I had and I got to play with a couple close friends of mine and it was it was really nice but at the same time I I didn't like it I hated hockey and I started to find my medication to affect me in negative ways I didn't know why I would feel tired all the time I didn't know why I was still upset or why I'd have mood swings why my sex drive wasn't there or something like all that stuff was there and it wasn't like it's no secret but that's what these medications do and I hated them and I I just stopped taking them and I went right off them myself without doctor's approval nothing like that I and then once I I felt better right away but over time I started to feel a lot worse and my mood swings were everywhere because you're not supposed to just go cold turkey on them you're supposed to wean off them over a doctor's supervision but I didn't realize that at the time and or as much as I did realize that I didn't want it to extend for months at a time to get off them and so when I eventually did them the proper way um, things felt better and then things got worse again so I would go back on them and I take them for a while and then I hated them again so then I get back off them and it was just a constant battle with these medications and I think a big realization for me was that I shouldn't need medication to feel happy and nobody ever should some people 100% do need medication um, but for myself that wasn't something that not only that I didn't want but something that I knew that I didn't need and that's a factor of being mentally healthy and mentally strong and almost telling myself that I don't need them I am okay it's the things in my life that I need to change in order to account for those pills like I need to figure out who I'm hanging out with that doesn't make me happy and cut them out. I need to figure out what are some of the tips that I can bring into my relationship that will help us and our communication and figure out exactly what I need to do in that spectrum and just do them because that's what needs to happen. And with my parents, I need to be open with them and talk to them and I want them to support me wherever I'm playing or if I'm not playing or whatever I'm doing, I just want their support. It was tough when I came back from Calgary because obviously the WHL was a big, kind of a big deal for my family. And it was, um, I get schooling every year that I played and it was, it was like a professional league. Um, and the way they treat you is really well. So when I was playing in the BCHL, not that I wasn't getting treated well, but it was obviously a way different atmosphere. And my parents, they wouldn't come to every game. They wouldn't um, talk to me after every single game. It was obviously way different. And I almost felt like I was letting them down again. And actually that year I ended up staying at my girlfriend's house for quite a bit of the year because I just... I felt like I was supported in that household and they loved it and in my own household it was it wasn't like that um, so I'm in moving forward I decided you know what I'm gonna 
gonna really take some some steps in helping myself and helping my mental state and that's exactly what I did after I got off the meds and I started challenging myself and challenging my anxiety and my depression and figuring out what I needed to do what I didn't need to do and um, after our hockey season was over or I guess in playoffs I ended up doing the same thing I did in Calgary and I stepped I basically faked sick again I took another sick day in playoffs for two games because I was there was no part of me that wanted to be there and it wasn't it wasn't in a disrespectful way but it was in a way that I knew that I had to take time for myself because my mental state wasn't at the right capacity for me to be playing and be putting in my all and that's something that needed to change and when I eventually when I did that it it's it was tough but at the same time I knew I wouldn't be me if I was there so after the season ended I decided I was going to quit hockey entirely go to school become a coach just work throughout the summer and that's exactly the steps that I took and that's what I thought I needed to do to make myself happy in life I thought I was really happy and then before I knew it, I was off to Portland for the Portland Winterhawks in the WHL. And then I ended up getting released by them in my 19-year-old year and heading back to Kelowna. And from there, I was at a loss. I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. I figured I could, figured I could figure something out because I was a pretty knowledgeable person. And I figured that no matter what, I will find a way. And that's what I did as I actually ended up playing for West Kelowna again, something I did not think I would do. I constantly told my agent that I was not playing for West Kelowna again. I didn't want to do that. I would go somewhere else before that. But that was the choice that I made. I stepped up and played for West Kelowna. And thankfully I, I did because it was probably the best year of hockey that I've ever had. Um, a lot of on-ice success, but also a lot of off-ice success and a lot of off-ice happiness. My relationship ended up getting better than ever. It was amazing. I excelled in hockey and was putting up a lot of points and just having a lot of personal success. And overall, I loved going to the rink every single day. I had such good connections with my teammates and we... It was just like a family and that's what you want out of a team is you want it to be a family but you want to be able to support everyone and I was open with my mental health and in February of that year I did a interview for TSN for Hockey Night in Canada which was awesome and it was really fun and actually in 2018 I did one for Sportsnet with Miles Matilla and MindRight and that was super awesome as well. So obviously I was getting my story out there a little bit more. I was doing a lot more in the community and kind of doing my part and helping people in the way that I wish I would have had the help um, when I was going through some of my some of my really dark days. After speaking out and everything like that, the next day um, my grandpa passed away and that was like the very start of a really tough year. So 
my grandpa not only passed away that year, but um, the same year my dog ended up passing away. And then I went, I was in, um, I was in Everett for, because I joined the Everett Silvertips of the WHL for playoffs. And that was awesome. I was super proud of myself for obviously getting that exposure again and playing good enough to have that opportunity. And it was really fun and it was a really unique experience. And I'm super thrilled that I did it. And my girlfriend and her family and my family would come and visit me. Um, every other weekend and I was happy I was super super happy nothing it felt like nothing could go wrong and unfortunately that same year was when um, my dad actually well my girlfriend and I went to meet our parents at breakfast and my dad um, he ended up telling me that his best friend and somebody that I looked at as my second father figure was in the hospital uh, with meningitis. And I didn't understand what meningitis was or what it could do, or even though, like, even if it was fatal or anything like that. But it was really tough, obviously, seeing my dad and my family um, so concerned about what was going on. And after some time, I, I did, it didn't even hit me at all. And I just kind of went on and I was obviously freaked out knowing that he was in the hospital and I felt for his wife and son and the rest of his family because like, his name's Grant Sheridan. He was an amazing, amazing human being who helped so many people and cared about everyone else so much more than himself. And that's a big thing that I obviously think that I've taken from him is that to realize that others come first before yourself and that was always him and he wanted everyone to be treated with the utmost respect on an everyday basis no matter who you are where you come from what race you are doesn't matter everyone should be treated equally and everyone should be given the same opportunity seeing the people that he touched and in the ways that he helped them it was amazing and he helped me in so many different ways and in ways that I never even took appreciation to as they were happening but obviously once I heard about this I started thinking about some of those when we um when I got back home it was kind of a lot at once and I got back home and I knew that he was in an induced coma and while Grant was in the hospital, my parents would constantly ask me if I wanted to go and see him. And my parents always warned me that he doesn't look the same. And it's not the same because it's just, it's not. And he is not, he's there, but he's, he can't talk to you and he can't do anything really and it's just little movements with his hands or maybe something in his face or whatever it is but you can just tell that it was almost that he was trapped inside of this body and it's not him and for a long time I contemplated if I wanted to go and see him or not and I didn't know what I should do or how I should go about it and I chose not to for a long time and I was just 
for the lone reason that I didn't know how it was going to affect me and I wanted to be fully prepared and fully ready for that opportunity. And five days later, Grant Sheridan, my second dad, my dad's best friend, ended up passing away. And that was one that I never, never expected to happen. I didn't think that it would ever happen and I didn't know how I was going to react with it. I, to say it lightly, I didn't take it well. Um, and I still don't. It's, uh, it's one of those ones where you want to say bye to somebody so bad and you had a million opportunities in the world to do it, but you never did it. And for so long I beat myself up. Um, because I never did that. I never went and said bye. I had so many opportunities to go in and say bye, and I never did, and I ruined myself for that. I was so distraught and so, um, it was just so tough, and knowing knowing what his family's going through and knowing what my family's going through and my dad especially it was it sucked and i wish more than anything that i would have went to that hospital every single day for months on months because just to see him one more time would obviously be like the best feeling in the world unfortunately that's not how life works and it's not um it's not how this story obviously works and from there, we uh, it was we had his funeral, um, and that that sucked a lot. Obviously, he's he was an amazing guy and a guy that grew this into something so it just grew so many things and something so large and touched so many people. So the church was packed with thousands of people and. People weren't, they were filing out the doors just to hear what was being said about him. And it was truly amazing. And it's truly something that it gave me a light in how amazing he was as a human and how much he touched so many people and what he did for not only our community, but my family, myself, um, his family his son, his wife, everyone, he did so much for all of them. And sitting there obviously brought back so many memories and seeing pictures of him and hearing his voice again in a video was, it was heart rent, like heart wrenching. And uh, my family was one of two other families who weren't related to the to Grant um, that went to the actual graveyard and we were in that in that area while they spoke and it was uh, it wasn't easy and it wasn't fun obviously it was it was really tough and it was not a celebration by any means um, but later that night we we went we went to their house and we had everyone come together and it was it was really nice and captivating seeing everyone there and mingling with them and everyone telling stories about Grant and how great he was and it was it was amazing and 
But I remember that night, I just, I wanted to leave. I wanted to go somewhere else. And I, I did, I went out with my, um, with a bunch of friends to like the bar and it was the worst possible thing that I could have ever done. Cause in that state I was drinking away my sorrows and trying to fill my emptiness with alcohol. And in the summertime, I, um, I made a decision to, um, have sexual intercourse with, um, two people on the same night and, um, not knowing that a couple days later I was going to be back at my ex-girlfriend's house, seeing her and helping her with, um, just like in her house or anything that she needed. And I, that was tough. I was there and I knew that I was sitting on not a lie, but I knew what I was sitting on. I had every intention to tell her, but as one thing obviously led to another, we, we both fell asleep just next to each other. And then when we woke up, it was, uh, one thing just led to another and it happened so fast. And I didn't even think about it at that moment. Cause I was so caught up in the moment and as was she, and it was, um, yeah. And then the next day she found out what had happened. And I, it was at that moment I felt my, it felt like my world came crumbling down because I had hurt someone that I cared so dearly for and Stu obviously still do care so dearly for, but I wasn't proud of who I was, how much I was drinking and going out to bars. Um, I just wasn't proud of where I was and I was drinking before practices, like the night before practices, the night before games. Some of those moments I don't regret whatsoever because some of those were the best memories of my life. And, um, but others, I knew that it was just to fill a void and there was no reason to be doing any of those things. I felt like my world was coming down and I felt like I had hit the bottom and I deserved to pay for it was when I was on the phone with um, my ex-girlfriend and she was talking to me about basically where like what had happened and obviously she was super frustrated as anyone would be but um, instead of me just owning up to it taking responsibility and dealing with what the future holds I crumbled and I resorted back to a state of like severe anxiety and depression and I that same night I freaked out I was calling one of my buddies and explaining what was happening. And I was just like, man, like I don't, I'm not happy. I'm not, like I just don't feel like there's anything worth living for right now. Like that was my life. Um, I'm kind of done. I'm over it. I'm over hockey. I'm over all of it. I was like, I, I'm lost. I don't know where to go. And that's exactly when I basically went into my house, found the sharpest knife I could possibly find and walked out my back door, went, hiked up through the mountains and sat at the top of the thing and cried my eyes out. And I sat there and sat there. And then I started running this blade across the, like my cheekbone. And then I'd feel like blood 
kind of start to come down. And then it was when the anger took over um, and the frustration started to come out with action. And I, when it hurt, I made it hurt more. And that was, then I kept getting phone calls and I would just keep running this blade like back and forth. And then eventually I made, there was no part of me that wanted to end my life at that very moment. But this, at the same time, every part of me wanted me to end my life. I felt like I had nothing. But at the same time, I knew that there was so much more for me to do in my life. There's so many more things I wanted to do. And I ended up walking down the road and made one of the most unfair and stupidest mistakes in my life. And that was sitting, I was sitting probably 200 yards up from my girlfriend's driveway, sitting on the road and just started bawling my eyes out, running a blade over my wrist and watching myself bleed. And then with some blood loss and with the anxiety and everything like that, I started getting woozy and I had to sit down and I wasn't making sense on the phone and I knew that she knew that and she was freaking out and I remember seeing her drive frantically up to her house and I sat there and watched her drive and she was on the phone and freaking out and she ran up and grabbed me and called her mom and told her mom to grab me and her mom, I've never... Like she ripped into me more than I, obviously more than what was healthy, but at the same time, it was a big wake up call for it. And she put me in my place. And as much as it sucks, she kept saying, you're never going to see my daughter again. You're never going to spend time with her again. It's the last time you ever see her and so forth. And um, my girl or my ex-girlfriend was more than... Um, like more than supportive and was calming me down and making sure that I was okay and was loving and caring in that moment. And it's moments like those when obviously you find a deep love for someone and you experience that to a deeper level than just knowing that you have deep feelings for them. You actually realize that they are someone that you love and no matter what happens in your life no matter where you end up where you go who you're with you'll always have that you always have that love for them and that those memories that make you cherish them so 10 years down the road if you're not together you're still texting them to see how they're doing or you're always thinking about them and um so that night i went to the hospital i got my wrists glued and I went back to my house and my parents, we got back at 5 a.m. and my parents had no idea that I had even left, not one single clue. And we tried calling them multiple times, nothing. It was, it was a mess. And so the biggest thing for me was that when I was able to leave because I was frightened of staying in a psych ward and I begged the people to not put me in one because I knew I wasn't psychotic. I was just in a deep depressive state and I felt like I had wronged 
um, a lot of people and myself. So when I left, um, my girlfriend or ex-girlfriend said that she would stay with me that night and she would support me. And my parents came home, or sorry, my parents were sleeping when I got home or when we got home and I went up into the room and I just woke them up and explained everything that happened. And it was, it was horrifying. It was one of the hardest things to say. And, um, it led to a lot of different conversations after that, but it was obviously super beneficial and it was something like they needed to be filled in on it and they needed to know a lot, but this whole situation started a snowball effect of me being allowed to see my ex-girlfriend, me being allowed to spend time with her, me being able to be in contact with her and her sister and her family and my family and her family. And it just caused so much grief. And that caused me so much anxiety because obviously it was a stressful moment and a stressful situation. And I didn't know what to do or where to go from there. And after all of that happened after about a month was when I started to kind of get back on track after seeing a psychiatrist for a month now and seeing them, seeing him every single week, it started to find my mental health started to find a way to, um, be happy and strong. And I knew that I was going to be okay. And I knew that that truly was the very last time. And I remember I went out and I got a tattoo right on my chest of a butterfly and a butterfly represents growth and resurrection. And in the butterfly, there's two semicolons, which explain that the sentence goes on or your story goes on. And obviously my story does go on. And this past year, if I would have ended my life um, that one night, I wouldn't have experienced some of the best moments in my life. This past year has taught me so much and I've experienced so many things. After being kind of up and down for months on end with my ex and um, if we were getting back together, if we weren't, and it was just constant head games and with not knowing what was happening with hockey and if I liked it or didn't like it, and realizing that I didn't like it and it wasn't for me and it wasn't where I wanted to be, I stepped up and did the most courageous thing that I think I've ever done for myself. And that was actually step away from hockey in January. And I stepped away from hockey for the lone reason of bettering myself and doing something that I love to do. And something that I wanted to do with my life. I didn't quit hockey to go work. I didn't quit hockey for a girl. Like I quit hockey because I wanted to better myself and that's exactly what I did. I went with two of my friends and we went and traveled the world. We went to Thailand, Vietnam, um, Malaysia, Singapore, and Bali. And that was the most, um, that was a trip where not only was it amazing, but I think it definitely helped transform me into the person that I am today. And I realized that while I was on this trip and in some of these third world countries, I realized that I have it really well. Like I, yeah, maybe I have 
lost people and um, lost some mental health battles. But at the end of the day, I have a roof over my head. I have unlimited food. I have a family. I have support. I have friends that love me and want to hang out with me and do things with me like travel. And we saw some really grueling things while we were traveling and some some environments and communities that you just ask yourself, how can you live here? And how do people live here? But everyone always seems to have a smile on their face and they walk around and with the bare minimum and they're happy. And that's a place that I wanted to get to in my life. And even while I was traveling, I was still battling myself mentally. I was constantly thinking about my ex-girlfriend. I was constantly thinking about what my parents were thinking. My dad actually, he didn't talk to me for three months. And that was something that I don't resent him whatsoever for it because it's it's fine. It is what it is. I mean, him and I have a good relationship now. I mean, it's not a relationship where we're totally open with each other. And sometimes he's more open with my friends than he is with me. But it's a relationship where we obviously have respect and love for each other. And um, I think we both support each other in whatever it is we're doing. And, um, but while I was traveling and my mom would call me and ask me about different places and talk to my brother and then my dad would be silent because I would imagine because I left hockey and he was so passionate about hockey and passionate about me going further in hockey. Um, but at the end of the day, I followed a dream of mine that I'd wanted to do for years on years and I made it happen and I did it right and I'm super thrilled that I did it um, obviously it wasn't always easy like I said and with battling things with thinking about my ex-girlfriend so much and thinking about things that were out of my control and thinking about my dad and why he wouldn't be talking to me or why he wouldn't ask me how I was doing um, those things started to weigh on me but at the same time, I'd look around at where I was and I'd be super thankful for the opportunity that I'm given and thankful for traveling and seeing all these different places and staying in all these places and immersing myself in the culture that they had to offer. After I came back from traveling, um, it, was, it was weird. Like while I was traveling, when you travel, people always say, you're going to notice a massive change in yourself. I felt like I was somebody else while I was traveling. I, I really benefited from it and I found myself. And like, that's the biggest thing that people always say, oh, I found myself. I grounded myself. I, I found who I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do. And for me, when I was traveling, I did not find that. I was experiencing a lot, but I did not think I was becoming somebody different. And as much as I wanted to convince myself I was, I knew that I was still the same person and I would still think of ways to do everything differently. Um, but I, yeah, I just wasn't, I didn't feel growth. And that was really frustrating for me because I, that's why I went there was to grow. And when I like, was supposed to come back, I wanted to feel 
like I had changed. And when I did come back, I felt the change and it hit me. Um, it hit me really fast and made me realize a lot. Um, I was in quarantine for a little bit, but it was in conversations that I had with people was when I realized how much I'd changed. I'd realized, uh, the humbleness that I had obtained, not that I didn't have it before, but just to an excessive standpoint and um, my growth mentally and how stable I was becoming. And um, I always wanted to help. I always wanted to help my parents in any way possible. I always wanted to help my family, um, my friends, whatever it was. I just wanted to be around my friends and family and help them because that was something that I noticed a lot over there was everything was about family and friends and it didn't matter about money or like personal success. It was about caring for people and then your personal success comes from that. And so when I noticed that I, I was extremely happy and I noticed the change and I felt it. When you notice change and you feel it, if you have felt it, you will feel it. It is different. And I didn't know that is what it was going to feel like, but it's, um, it was a goal that I have now been trying to chase ever since as well. Like whenever I find myself veer away from that feeling, I chase it because it's, it's a feeling of pure, it's a feeling of elation just a pure state of happiness and joy and being so mentally healthy. Like when people think about mental health, they instantly revert to depression or anxiety or some form of disease. But in reality, mental health is the state of health that your mind is at. And for me, obviously for a long time, my mental health wasn't good. And it's the same as eating junk food all the time. Your physical health is not going to be good. But for me, my mental health was not good. And I wanted to find a way to increase um, increase the healthiness of it. And traveling did that for me. And it was amazing, an amazing feeling. And I didn't... I knew that that's the state where I needed to be at all times. And I needed to do anything to achieve that. But with time and with experiences um, in the recent past, I would find myself often veering away from those feelings. And whether it was like going out with friends or being out at um, our place on the lake and like just drinking too much or being with the wrong people, um, I started to notice that I was veering away from that state of pure happiness. I was noticing that I would drink too much because I'd still miss my ex-girlfriend or I would drink too much because I miss Grant or miss um, the happiness that I once had one time or whatever it was or like I miss traveling and I just I kept finding myself reverting to trying to find change when in reality um, I needed to make that change myself and do something to better myself. Um, and when I actually, it's a bit of a funny story, but 
um, not going to get too into it, but I was with uh, my best friend and I, we were on a side-by-side out at our lake, and uh, yeah, we, we, we ended up flipping it um, late at night, and I ended up getting, um, ended up getting stitches down my leg, and now I left with a nice little scar and uh, broke my ankle as well. But it was weird because in that state, like it was, we were obviously scared when it happened. We flipped a motorized vehicle um, after a long day, and we had had a few couple drinks and stuff. But uh, more so, we were. I was sitting there, and in a state where you would think you'd be freaking out or being like, "Rush me to the hospital," whatever it is, I sat there and I was calm and. I laughed and I laughed the whole entire night and I didn't want to go to the hospital. I didn't want to do anything. I just sat there and we laughed and we, it was like, that was a state of pure happiness. And as bizarre as that seems, sometimes the hardest parts of life actually turn out to be like the things that you laugh about most and the things that will make you happiest. And it was then we were laughing about sharing. Um, we were laughing because we said that we were going to share these stories at our weddings and it was all for the stories. And it was just a moment where I didn't care that I was injured or care that this had happened to me. I was just happy to obviously be okay. And I realized that there's, a lot more people that go through a lot more stuff than just a broken ankle or some cuts on your leg. Um, and I realized that, yeah, it hurt, but there was a long period of time in my life that hurt a hell of a lot more and you can see it on the outside. And so that's something that I want to kind of bring to everyone today too, is that, yeah, you might have a physical injury, on the outside and that you can see and it might look bad and whatever it is, but sometimes or the most, like for the most part, those ones aren't nearly as bad as the ones that are going on inside of our brains and inside of our bodies. And we don't know who is hurting and who's not because we aren't transparent with it all the time and we aren't vulnerable about it. And it's just goes to show that, something that happened to me physically, I laughed it off and I thought it was funny and I still to this day think it's funny and for the rest of my life, I'll share that story on a funny note, not a note of scariness or um, or even like look down on that memory because that's a memory that I love and it's as stupid as it sounds, it's hilarious and um, I can't wait to share that for the rest of my life but uh, those those mental um, mental damages that are going on inside of a lot of people uh, are way worse and way more gruesome than any injury that could happen. And a lot of people don't realize that and they don't think that or take that into account. But we need to start. Um, and this is kind of where it starts. And we we as a whole need to obviously speak up and talk about 
our struggles and talk about what we're doing and what our target goal is and where we want to end up and what we want to do with our life. But even more so, we need to, we just need to be like true to ourselves. And I don't think a lot of people are. I think, um, I know I wasn't for a really long time and I didn't know what steps to take, but more so, um, something that I realize now is that I need to be alone for a while. And that's from a relationship and from, um, trying anything or whatever it is I know that there's a lot that I need to do in this world before I can do something like that or commit myself to somebody else because it all starts within you before it starts with anybody else you need to be fully happy with yourself before you can make somebody else happy or you need to love yourself so much before you can love anybody else and that's something that I always struggled with and I still struggle with it because I don't love myself all the time. Um, I think I do a lot more now because I'm starting to realize what I need to do. And obviously in doing something like this, I've learned a lot. My parents' day and age, I don't think it was like that. I don't think, I think it was you find somebody in high school or just after high school and you find out that you love them because it was easier without social media and without all this cyberbullying and judgment. Um, if you didn't want to talk to your girlfriend for three days, you could not talk to her for three days. And it wasn't the end of the world because there wasn't always that accessibility to talk to them at your fingertips. Our phones, we're so addicted to our phones and we're on them all the time. And one of the worst things about it is that somebody doesn't text us back within a couple hours chances are we're gonna text them again because we think that they're mad or something's wrong. If somebody doesn't answer a Snapchat, chances are you're gonna get anxiety about it because you think that it's, you think they're mad or that they don't wanna to talk to you or that you shot your shot and it didn't work. And, um, but there's so many different things to it. like. And the comments on Instagram photos is ridiculous. Like, I don't know how many times you have people commenting on your photos and, or on someone's photo and degrading them because of the way that they look or the way that they act or what it is that they do. And that is so wrong. Judgment should not happen through a screen. If you're gonna say something to someone, you should say it right to their face because then at least they can understand. And I think through understanding um, where someone's coming from, then obviously you can determine the next step from there. But when you're bullying someone, I don't care if it's like a teammate, anything. I don't care who it is. It doesn't matter. Like you need to, you need to be cautious of how it can affect someone. And people don't think about that. And especially with celebrities, like, Think about how many celebrities, how many comments are on a celebrity's photo and there's a lot that are negative and a lot of people can deal with it and just say, yeah, I can take that and I'm not going to take these comments to heart. But there's a lot of people that do take it to heart and they question it and somebody could call you fat and you will take it to heart and you'll start looking at yourself differently. And it's these little comments from behind a stupid screen that 
are changing our world and changing mental health drastically. I think nowadays, especially as all these different social media platforms come out and the opportunity for cyberbullying arises, the more that our mental health is going to deteriorate. And that's why we need, we also need to use and like utilize these social media platforms as an opportunity to spread awareness to mental health and show people that we can share our stories without judgment. And if there is judgment behind it, that that person obviously struggles a lot more than you do because them judging you for your life story or something like, for instance, calling somebody weak for self-harming them, like using self-harm as a coping mechanism, it's, it's sad because you know that they're struggling more than you actually are. And um, I think for myself, I know now that I don't care about what people think at all with social media. Um, I don't care if they support what I'm doing. I obviously hope everyone does and everyone spreads this word through these social media platforms um, where most mental health kind of starts um, or I guess most mental health struggles actually start and that's through Instagram stories, posts, um, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, YouTube. I hope that it the word spreads on how to help people and it shows people that we can talk about these struggles and we're not going to be judged for it. And we need to not care about what people think because that's the most important thing. Care about what makes you happy. And if posting 25 pictures a day, which is apparently out of the ordinary, makes you happy, then do it because that's what we should do. And if somebody tries to tell you that something's not going to work, turn your, turn your back to them and try it because for all you know, that could be the next thing that changes our world. And that's what I want to do with struggle creates strength. I'm proving that everyone has a story and no two stories are the same, but everyone can relate to the story and every story has the potential to help someone else. And hopefully through listening to these podcasts and seeing the emotion coming from myself and the emotion coming from some of the speakers that are going to be on the podcast is realizing that you're not alone and you are able to speak up. You can come out and I guess take that weight off your shoulder and let it all flow and finally find yourself and realize that you are in an open environment where speaking is encouraged and telling your story is encouraged. And not only is it amazing and um, gratifying seeing you do something like that, but it also has the potential to help people all over the world. And that is struggle creates strength. It's exactly that is explaining that everyone struggles, like everyone struggles and Nobody's struggles determine who they are, um, but it obviously your struggles build strength and through your struggles, you will learn to grow and you will 
learn what works for you and what helps you and eventually hopefully you seek the help that you need and i hope that you want to come on here and share your story to everyone today and i hope that you even just reach out to me or just start creating a movement like i want to start almost a mental health rally and rally against the stigma and have people open up and have people share their mindsets and tips and quotes on what has changed their life and what continues to change their life. And I know for me, one of my, like my tip that I'll leave everyone with is, like I said earlier, is challenge, 100% challenge your anxiety. And if you don't want to do something, do it because you never know where it'll take you. I know that I was always really scared to start this and I didn't know where it would take me and I didn't know what it would do, but I figured that I would set all that anxiety aside and all those fears and do it because even if it helps only one person, that could be one more person that does not um, commit suicide. And that's huge for me because obviously I've been in that stage where I'm on the verge. And so listening to somebody explain their story or listening to um, different techniques and tips on how to cope with it, well, 100% that would have helped me um, when I was going through it, and that's what I wanna help everyone do. And um, the quote that I've kind of lived by, and I actually have it tattooed on me, is, um, be strong when you are weak, be brave when you are scared, and be humble when you are victorious. And that's something that was instilled in me um, by both of my parents actually. But it's also something that I've grown to become kind of one with. And when I'm like when I'm scared, I know that I have to be strong because there's always somebody that it's gonna help. And there's always um and maybe that somebody's myself. And so when I'm scared to do something, I know that I have to do it in order to benefit myself and benefit somebody else. And when you're victorious, like being humble about it, that's so important. And no matter how rich you are, you're never going to be fully satisfied. Like the most fulfilling thing in life is helping people. And um, I think that's something that I know I talk to a lot of people about that is the best feeling in the world is helping people. And so I'm really, really thrilled for this movement. Um, and I hope you and enjoyed my story and it gave you a bit of a, a voice and something to relate to um, even if it's not on the same spectrum that I was on but I just want you to see that everyone obviously has a story and everyone can relate from this you can find all of like the rest of the stories um, that I'll be posting and different tips resources quotes um, you can get a hold of me uh, through strugglecreatestrength.com and you can also email me at lucas at strugglecreatestrength.ca but also go follow our Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube all at Struggle Create Strength. Thank you very much for listening to the very first podcast. I know it was a bit of a long one. I encourage you to help somebody today and use your voice, use your past, and 
help help somebody else, essentially. Thank you very much. This is Struggle Creates Strength.